Nobody checking for me starts right now. I'm Rachel Jarofsky. I'm Cody Wilkins. And as per always, thank you so much for pushing back against the title of the pod and checking for us today or tonight or whenever it is that you're tuning in. Thank you. What's up, Rach? How are you? I am pretty well. How are you, Cody? I'm a little rattled today. Uh, someone was checking for me who I didn't expect to be, and it wasn't it, it wasn't the best situation. I was uh, I was in the shower. Uh, when my super decided to come make an unannounced visit to fix something I asked him to fix a long time ago. Uh, now, now me, I, I obviously work from home. My roommate goes to work every day without question and is gone strong nine to five. So when someone opens my door at 11 in the morning and I'm vulnerable, dripping wet naked in the shower, I'm, it's about time to die, you know? I'm like right. a Spider-Man in the nude. I think probably the way my heart rate spiked, I, I got a nice, like, deep condition and an exit, like, a, and, a, and a workout in at the same time, so. There so you go. Two birds, one stone. That was, like, the beginning of a horror movie, the beginning of a porno, all in one. What an exciting morning. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. Unfortunately, uh, not exactly a happy ending. But here we are. Well, a happy ending if it was a horror movie. Not so much if it was, you know, let me just back up. My super's not that hot. Cody <laughs> so. super ain't shit. That's interesting because um, uh, I have been checking for my super uh, endlessly to no avail. I really feel like my super might be just like struggling right now. Our Christmas decorations are still up in the building. And I'm just oh like, oh, that's so crusty. That's so crusty when holiday decorations are up multiple weeks past New Year's. Like, oh, come on now. Oh, that is just rust around the drain. But no, I, there's some things in my apartment that need to be addressed. You know, our kitchen sink is acting weird. The, the vent, our, our kitchen vent just straight popped out of its socket, so to speak. I, I can't really uh, describe accurately the ailment that is affecting our kitchen vent. But my uh, my super is just swerving me so effortlessly. I saw him uh, today when I took the dog out and I was, I was, it was very much like, Hey, we went on a first date and I texted you to follow up and you ghosted <laughs> me. And now I ran into you with my dog and I'm like, what the fuck? But I have to be like, hey, what's going on type right. shit. Um, yeah. Look at us just kind of living in opposite land over here. Exactly. Both of us uh, existing with not so supers, you know, <laughs> uh, not ideal. I can tell you what, you know who's checking for me is uh, under the nose winter dryness, okay? I feel like winter, tis the season for white people to turn reddish pink, you know? (laughs) It's just like, how do white people get so splotchy in the winter? It is not cute. Um, I've I've famously been a snot-nosed kid all my life, didn't grow out of it, so now it's just a lot of blow nose blowing, a lot of just... Crusty crab, not cuteness. Everyone tuned out real fast um, when I started this rant. What I'll say, uh, listeners, in Rachel's defense, in the decade and some change that I know her, she's always been one of the most well-moisturized white people I've ever met. I like always pushing back against the narrative of 
the ashy white person. So this is, it pains me to know that you're sneezing on your own no- nasal flakes. You know, I, I'm here for you. Flaky, dandruff of the nose. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm sitting over here grinning from ear to ear with excitement with who we're about to talk to just because like, I'm so familiar with this guest. Right. It's like I'm almost kind of geeking out like a little fanboy, you know. But let me not gas it too much or give it away. No. Because they know they got to wait. They know they got to wait. Come on, Nate. Wow, what a treat. Who we got here in the virtual studio today, none other than the Ashley Blaine Featherson. She is an actress, producer, entrepreneur, and most recently, a fiance. Congrats on you found love in a homeless place. It was hopeless for a while. It really was. It was good. Oh, yes. I made it out. I made it out. Yes. Wow. You know, love to see it when someone (laughs) makes it out. Um, Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> Folks may know you as Joelle from the series Dear White People. You were in Justin Simeon's Bad Hair, which I watched yesterday and absolutely loved. You've also been on Glee. Look, she's very watchable, people. You have seen her, and she's here with us today. Ashley, thanks so much for coming through. Wow, what an introduction, Rachel. Thank you. <laughs> One of my favorites, actually, I have to say. Wow, that means the world, honestly. (laughs) Obviously, we, uh, Cody and I, took the deep dive onto your uh, Wikipedia page. Shout out my eighth grade English teacher who said Wikipedia is not a source. Uh, I just used it. Um, Yeah. (laughs) But uh, yeah, so essentially from what I was reading and the information that I was gathering is uh, you were pretty much born to perform? Yeah. I, I don't have like celebrity secret celebrity parents or something like that. Um, but no, my mom, uh, has always sang and my dad has a, uh, affinity for film and television. He always has. So he actually went to school for film and television. Um, uh, but never officially pursued it as a career, but my sister, my older sister were nine years apart. She was always a performer. So I kind of was always inspired by her. You know, she was at dance classes. I want to go to dance classes. If she was doing like theater. I wanted to do theater. I think it's, I think it was a mix of that in addition to me just naturally being drawn to it. And I really think being destined for it from when I was very young. Ashley, I got to say, I am always so positively envious of people who find their North Star early like that. And, and so I'm curious Along the ride, were there any moments where you questioned the plan or felt maybe you should go in a safer, more secure direction? That's such a good question. And you're right. I did find my North Star early. And I think part of that is like, again, I think it just is the way that I was born. But I also think I had parents that never tried to put me on any other path. I had parents who really listened to what I was saying and how I was acting and the things that I was drawn to. And they always supported me in that. So I think that when you have a support system, whether it's family or friends that do that for you, it's a lot easier to stay on your on the track guiding you by the the North Star because 
you're supported in it. So I, it, it wasn't just all me. I had, I really do have to say that. Um, were there times that I was super frustrated and scared and confused and in many ways, to be honest, I think the word is hurt because I think that at times I felt like, how could I have put so much into this and committed so much of my life to something and truly done it to the best of my ability and yield no reward mm-hmm. and no, uh, at the time, what felt like positive results. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was hurtful because it felt like, was this all for nothing? <laughs> like, I, it, but then there's my my the element of faith, right? So right, then I right. always am a firm believer that God doesn't put desires in your heart that will not be fulfilled. I've always believed that. So it was in those moments, I always tell people like, allow yourself to fill those moments, but also allow yourself to snap out of it. So me snapping out of it would be like, I know this is not for nothing. I have a story to tell. I, you know, if, if I didn't go through anything, I wouldn't be able to be on this podcast talking to you all, right? Like I wouldn't be able to inspire anybody else that might be listening to your podcast to also chase their dreams, you know, until they get completely tired. Like that's the whole, the, the point is really inspiration. And the truth is, and if you don't go through anything, you can't inspire anybody else. Um, but I definitely had really, really, really low moments. But the truth is, like I said, it was faith. It was believing in something higher than myself. I always think that is so important, particularly in the entertainment industry. You cannot just believe in yourself and, you know, basically false idols. Like you cannot do that. There's no, it's unsustainable. And then also like the people in my life. I have amazing, amazing friends who I call destiny advocates, people who are in my life that when they even see that I'm getting a little bit tired on the journey or frustrated, they're like, nope, girl, come on, get up. This is what you're meant to do. This is your purpose. Remember, you're doing this. Let's get down. You want to meet at my house? Let's do goals. Let's do this. Like that, I have those type of people in my life. And I really, honestly, in so many ways, my destiny advocates have saved my life because it allowed me to feel the support and feel lifted on a journey and on a path that is so tedious and difficult and scary and hard and yields so such little rewards. But the beauty of it is that when the rewards do come. I have people to celebrate it with. I have people who knew what the journey was every step of the way, who can toast champagne with me because they really know what it was like when we couldn't afford champagne or mm-hmm. whatever it was. So that's 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 really been my journey. And it hasn't been easy. I've been in LA for 11 years. Right. You know, like it was not an overnight success. I still feel like I have so much work to do. And I've been here since I was 22. And shout out the Destiny Advocates. You know what I'm saying? Thank, <laughs> yeah. thank you for Destiny ushering her Advocate. here. Uh, <laughs> To Amen. Speak to yes. Us today, I, yes. I, I do want to. I want to get into your time in LA and how you built that community and, and got there. But first, I want to start a little earlier. I, so you're born to do this. You are acting. Uh, you're singing. You're dancing. You're, you're a performer uh, through and through. And when it came down to heading off to college, I imagine because of your talents, you had a handful of options, and and you landed at Howard University. And I'm curious, what was it about Howard that attracted you more than the likes of, say, Juilliard or NYU or one of these uh, kind of more bold headline performance schools? So what was it about Howard that made you say, that's the move for me? For sure. So I did the whole like crazy senior year, like audition circuit. 
Um, my mom is a Howard alum, and I liked having that uh, connection to her. Um, she had always, you know, spoke fondly of Howard and her time at Howard, and I saw how much Howard shaped her as a woman, and I was really inspired by that. Um, secondly, I grew up in a predominantly white environment. Um, I grew up in like the suburbs of Washington, D.C., in a town called Gaithersburg. And it's diverse, but majority of the people that I went to school with or majority of the people in the theater productions that I was in or majority of the people in the in the choirs or, uh, you know, the dance troops that I was in were white. Yeah. Um, and I desperately longed for an experience that was the opposite of that. I wanted to be somewhere where everybody looked like me. Because I had never really had that. My parents always made space for me to be in those spaces, obviously through our friends and family or Jack and Jill and, you know, different thing. I went on the mm-hmm. Black college tours and, you know, they always made space for me in, in that way. But on a day to day, I didn't have that. Even in my neighborhood growing up, there are probably, let's say, I don't know, 150 houses or something like that. I think three of the families were Black. Yeah. It was not as diverse as I would have liked it to have been. Um and you could have used a little seasoning, is what you're saying. Just a I bit of flavor. Little, I needed a little Lowry's. I needed just a little right. bit of Lowry's on right. my chicken. Um, and so, so that was number two. And number three, the distinguished alumni that came out of the Howard University Fine Arts Department, to me, was just abundant in a way that I felt like when my name is listed amongst you know, notable alumni who have changed the world and, and changed arts and entertainment. I wanted to be included with those people because, um, you know, the history of Howard is really important. You know, Howard was founded in 1867 and we had to make a space for ourselves. We right. weren't allowed to, to, you know, get educated we, for damn sure. They didn't want us going to college. So, you know, it, 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 to, to know that this school this amazing university was formed at a time when we weren't really allowed to do anything mm-hmm. made. It really jumped into the top of my list. In addition to seeing, like I said, so many of the actors and actresses and dancers and poets and, and teachers and politicians and just amazing people that came from the university. I just was like, I want to walk the same halls as them mm-hmm. right. because if they had inspired me in the 17 years leading up to my life, why would I not go on for four years of my life and really try to soak it in in a way that was truly um, meaningful and authentic? It's just a feeling when you walk into like the halls of fine arts, it's like you can feel it. Like you wow. can just feel it. Like just the talent is just bouncing off from every department. And because I was a musical theater major, I, Howard being Howard, always doing the most, I had to <laughs> study. It, no, truly. That's another thing about Black people that I think a lot of people don't realize. HBCUs, because we weren't allowed to do so much, we had to hold ourselves to a higher standard than most mm-hmm. other schools. So when I say doing the most, I don't mean it in a bad way. I mean it in a way of it's just excellence is required of us at every step of the way. Right. And that is a part of the culture that's been there since the 1800s. But anyway, so part of that with the music, being a music theater major is that I had to study um, with the music majors, with the dance majors, and with the acting majors. Wow. And then we had our own separate musical theater curriculum. So basically, I was doing three different, four different curriculums, um, which again, makes you a very well-rounded, wonderful artist. I never took less than 20 or 22 credits in four years ever. 
Um, you yeah, know, I, yeah, I know it was cra- it's crazy, but in retrospect, I'm so grateful because life will throw things your way. And there's so many things in my career that I've encountered that I'm like, thank God Howard had me running around because, <laughs> you know, this mathematically, this all adds up. There's the old adage that black folks got to work twice as hard to get half as far. You though, sounds like you worked Four times as hard. Consequently, right. look how far you are. Like, that's basically, it. like it's true. It's true. It it really, really, really is true. Howard's taught me, just taught me so much. It was just I'm obsessed. I'm just obsessed. Okay, you're at you're at Howard, and you're like walking the halls where like all these greats. I mean, Taraji yeah. and like I what mm-hmm. I wouldn't give to be able to see her back in the day at Howard. Was it ever intimidating knowing the bar was set so high? No, it wasn't intimidating. Um. But there were times that I felt mm, misunderstood. And what I mean by that is, like, I went to Howard always knowing I was going to move directly to L.A. and pursue film and television. Mm -hmm. I always knew that from the day I got there. And most of the department was not really on that. Most of the Mm -hmm. department... And not only students, but faculty faculty was about theater and New York and whatever. And I never wanted to do that. I always, my plan was always the same. My plan was always to go to LA first and backtrack to New York. That was always my plan. So I kind of had the opposite plan of most other people, which is go to New York and backtrack to LA. So I kind of felt at times a little bit on this island because the things that I was working toward or trying to be a part of weren't necessarily what everybody else was trying to be a part of. You know, I was running down the hill to the school of communications because I wanted to do short films and I wanted to do this, you know, in addition to doing the, you know, uh, musicals and plays and stuff like that. But I was really trying to prepare myself for a film and television kind of in a department that wasn't really there yet. Yeah. If that makes sense. I was kind of ahead of it a little bit. Um, but I never felt intimidated. Honestly, if, if anything, I felt inspired. I was like, okay, like if these people did, I don't know why I can't, right? Like, you know, I really was always kind of like, you know, what's the difference? There's no difference. You know, Taraji and I are both from Maryland. You know, we both went to school for musical theater and we can both be amazing actors. Like, yeah. right? Like I never, I never allowed it to like bog me down or stress me out necessarily. No. Yeah, no, definitely. Do you think that returning to New York could potentially still be in the cards down the line? Oh my God. Yes. 1000%. Like that's a, a kajillion percent the plan. Yes. I, I have to be back on stage. I I want to do readings. I want to do plays. I want to do shows in New York. Like I want to do every, I want to do it all. I just always wanted my home base to be LA. You also got to, you also got to make sure that you get out of California before the big one hits and it becomes its own Island neighboring Hawaii. Very true. Yeah. It's ready to be done. <laughs> Uh, I think California is more done with the, the United States than I am. Uh, looking back at Howard, I, I recently saw in a, a piece of the for the Howard University newsroom uh, about a month ago, you mentioned that looking back on your own path, you wish you had more financial support. Consequently, you just turned around and partnered with Howard to inspire alums of the last decade to give back, leading the charge by donating $25,000. First of all, good shit. That's awesome. How <laughs> generous. Real. Second of Thank all... You. You must have had a fucking great time at Howard, which it sounds like is the case. Uh, my my question is, did your appreciation for the experience at Howard, is that what fueled your generosity? Or are you just kind of passing back blessings folks didn't even know they needed? Like, 
because sometimes we we don't know what we need to take someone with experience to show us. It's the latter for sure. One thousand percent. It it was truly. I mean, yes, obviously, I love my alma mater, so that was a huge part of it. But the other part was I really took a moment to to look over the decade that I've lived in LA post graduating from Howard. I mean, I moved to LA eight months after I graduated from Howard. So I, I mean, I, I really didn't waste any time. I was very young, just turned 22 had, I think I saved like $2,000 or something, like something ridiculous, booked a one-way ticket and came out here. And I was lucky enough to, my God sister allowed me to like live with her, like stay on her. I stayed on her in her living room on an air mattress for like six mm-hmm. months. Um, wow. she lived like 45, 50 miles outside of LA when is, I first moved your- here. But is your back still shaped like a question mark? Because I did something similar, and and I oh my oh, man, it, you never really recover. It, <laughs> no. It's kind of just like it's that thing that just always reminds you, like remember where you came from, right. where you started. It's like okay, I think what happens is, and this is what inspired me to to develop um, the fund, is that you're so focused on your dream, and you feel hopefully so equipped with the tools that you gained from college or whatever type of studies you're coming from. And you're kind of fueled up on adrenaline and hope and inspiration that you forget that real life is still happening mm-hmm. while you're chasing this dream. And real life oftentimes costs money. Yeah. And for me, uh, what I found was that I refuse to let real life take precedence over my career. And when I say real, obviously it's all intertwined, but I mean like the mundane parts of life, the bills, the this, the that. And because of that, I oftentimes really didn't have any money to support myself because if a job interfered with an audition, I just quit. If something like, and and that was because obviously I wasn't trying to build a, you know, a customer service resume necessarily. I didn't really care. Um, but I was kind of fearless in that way, but I know how also that can be debilitating and it can be scary and you can feel like, you know, you might be chasing this dream, but you have the worst credit score alive or you have this or whatever it may be. And for me, I just wanted to create space and, and funds for students who need that peace of mind, who are working so hard, but just need to know that their rent can be paid for two months while they really go, you do this reading of something with, you know, I, I don't know, Coleman Domingo that's going to help them get into, you know, his next project or whatever it may be, right. because those sacrifices do have to be made. And art sacrifices are always a part of art. They just are. There's no way to be an artist without sacrifice. However, artists also need a little bit of grace. And that's what it was mm-hmm. for me. It was It was creating space for grace and for... Um, to live a life, at least even momentarily, where you're able to really just focus on your career and not focus simply on how you're going to eat that day. Because I've been there before and it's hard and it's a lot of tears and it's stressful. Um, And I just wanted to try to not have as many young, talented artists have to go through the same thing. Yeah, no, it's true. I mean, from 2015 to 2017, it was a lot of uh, oatmeal and matzah for me, you know, just a lot of dry dinners, (laughs) dry dinners of that, you know. Um, And it's, I mean, I think 
that benevolence is so special. I'm wondering, like, is do you think you would have that same benevolent energy had you gone to another school? Because, like, I know for me, like, when every time NYU calls me looking for an alumni donation, I tell, like, the poor undergrad that I'm speaking to that NYU can choke on lard, those capitalist pigs. But, you know, I, I feel like <laughs> I feel like that's NYU. I have to imagine that Howard and everything is meant for you really fueled into that decision making as well. For sure, like 1,000%, because it also is, everything I just said is about artists. Right. But it's even harder for Black artists. I was there. So it's, yeah, like it is, my career will always be bigger than me in a way that it will not be for my white counterparts. It just is what it is. And so because of that, it would be, ridiculous of me to not have the means and not try to give back in that way. It would be just utterly ridiculous. Um, And so, yeah, hell yeah. That's a huge part of it is because I want to see more black artists like me thrive. And if I can help them do that, then to me, I really did something with my career. That's bigger than any next role that I'll get or award that I will win. If I can make space or help make space for someone else to live their dreams more fully that's that's the ultimate goal you see you see you have destiny advocates and then you turned around you became a destiny sponsor and for that (laughs) we appreciate you yes no yes destiny sponsor destiny's advocates like these were (laughs) the workshop names that didn't happen for destiny's child (laughs) that is what we're hearing here i am interested to hear about that scrappy time in la though what was the what would you say was the scrappiest um sort of job that you that you had and then ultimately pieced out from because it was getting in the way of things? Uh, okay. So I literally have had like, I think over 16 or 17 different jobs since I've lived in LA. Jeez. Literally. No exaggeration. Um, but the worst one was I, I, I think I found this job maybe on Craigslist. I don't know. But basically it was a guy who was looking for a copywriter. Um, he sold things on Groupon. So he was like looking, and I was like, well, I can do that. He lived really close to my house. So I get there and he's a really nice guy. He has like a wife and two children. Like, so it, it wasn't like creepy in that way. He wasn't like an old man in like a shed or something. It wasn't that. Um, no, but I know. I don't, that, that sounds like the new horror movie, Old Man in the Shed. Actually, right. that, that could legitimately be a horror movie. Anywho, uh, it's probably already on Netflix. But uh, he... So I get there and I'm like, okay, like, cool. Like I show up to work my laptop. Like, well, so what are we writing? He's like, so I sell sex toys and okay. I had to write the copy for sex toys. And I got paid, I don't know, something silly, like $10 an hour or something, $9 an hour. I don't know. But at the time I didn't have any money. So it was kind of like, this is better than nothing. So I right. will do that. You know, it was like four hours of my day. I sat there and wrote about dildos and anal plugs or something. I don't know. All right. So you're, you're in LA doing 38 different jobs at once, uh, (laughs) with, with no aspirations of having a catering career. Uh, and how then, what was it like when you found your crew? What was, what was the process like and the experience like getting these destiny advocates? Because obviously they're a big part of what you're doing now, but, and you've been there for a minute. But how did yeah. you find time between, you know, auditions, many jobs, and then, you know, cultivating the space around you? 
It was, I mean, honestly, it was really kismet. So, like, when I moved here, uh, I already had, like, some friends from Howard that were out here. So, it was great. I wasn't just, like, completely alone. And, obviously, my god sister, Darren, was out here with me. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, yeah, it just kind of, it just was, like, friends introducing you to friends, introducing you to friends. And I always say, like, I just got really lucky. I just got lucky. It was not like this long, arduous process. It was like, mm-hmm. I just met people, like one of my closest friends to this day, she's a photographer. Her name's Ashley. Like we met within my first, I don't know, maybe four or five months of me living in LA. And we've been friends ever since, you know, we've gone through everything together, mm-hmm. you know? Um, you know, uh, Lena Waits, like I met her in 2012, I think, maybe yeah. 2000. And so everything that we've accomplished, we've talked about together. You right. know, half of my friends I work with on Dear White People, Justin, I met around the same time. You know, Justin, I've been, we've been friends since 2012, I think, too. Um, Nia, Courtney, like these are all people that have been in my life for a really long time. And I think we took to each other because we all shared the feeling that this is bigger than us. Mm-hmm. Like all of us, all of my friends, we're, we're, we're all people, we're all artists who are trying to make a difference, but also have careers that contribute to our legacy in a way that we're really proud of. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that's why we've been riding with each other for so long and we're able to remind each other that that's really how we're able to be destiny advocates is because our destinies aren't quite different. Mm-hmm. So it's really easy to support and jump on board and, and connect to each other's destinies because they're really the same. You right. know, my happiness, my success is their happiness and their success. So of course they want me to thrive and vice versa. Nice, nice. Well, we yeah. we are familiar with some of the crew. Shout out Courtney Saul. Shout out, yeah, they're my sisters. Yeah, like we're literally just sisters. Yeah, uh, dope, dope, dope creators. Um, you talk about the time that you guys have put in together, and so for some of the listeners, especially folks who are early off in their career, uh, I would love for you to speak to the time between how long would you say between, before you got to Los Angeles. And bef- like, and you were putting in the work, and then really felt checked for. Because a lot of folks kind of think you're going to come off the bat and really turn around quickly and have a big break. And so, how long would you say were you really grinding, co- collecting your destiny advocates, doing multiple jobs, going it before you felt like well, people are low key checking for me? So you know what's crazy? I I still don't really completely feel checked for. Wow. Mm. And you know what? That is the thesis of the show. I don't. I feel like with getting the role of Joelle and Joelle now being out in the world with us Mm -hmm. shooting the, the fourth and final season now, I feel like that, um, allowed me to be seen as, uh, the talented actress that I always wanted people to see me as. So I think that that happened. I'm not, I'm not discounting that. Um, I think that Joelle has made space for my artistry and my uh, versatility and my beauty and my talent in a way that I 
pray I get again. And if not, I will be so happy that I had this opportunity. Um, I, I, I recognize that it is unique and rare in, in that, in that sense. Um, and for some, it's a once in a lifetime experience and I'm so grateful for it, but I don't feel checked for, I don't, I don't necessarily feel, I don't feel hidden. I know that I'm, people are aware of who I am, but I don't feel, I still don't feel like I am afforded opportunities that I really would like and that I feel like I have really been working really hard for. Now, I know that there will be a day that I do feel this way. I'm just saying that today, I don't know that I fully feel that way right now. Mm -hmm. Fair. And which just goes to show it is a relative feeling. It is a relative. It is. It is. It is. Wherever you are. It really is. Yeah. Now you, there is this, uh, also there's this business mogul element to you, um, <laughs> which, you know, you're a business man and a business woman. Um, yeah. <laughs> and you know, you launch your collab with Mented Cosmetics, which in my mind means, okay, she, well, so she has her own makeup line and that is what that means. <laughs> it's like move over L'Oreal Paris forever. Yeah. <laughs> sure why that I don't use them I'm not sure why that's the makeup line I kind of held on to but um has yeah has beauty and cosmetics always sort of been in the plan for you oh yeah I love the beauty space like I just love it I just think it's so like like I remember when Alicia Keys like was doing the whole no makeup thing I was like really I was like really supportive of it but I was also like you don't miss beating your face girl like I was really yeah. like Girl, like I couldn't do it. Um, right. But uh, I really supported that because she's just gorgeous and like, duh, why mess up that canvas? Um, but uh, yeah, I love the beauty sp- space. I love creating in the beauty space. I think that the beauty space, um, honestly, I, I really love collaborating and working in the beauty space because in many ways, it's kind of selfish. Like, I want more things that work for me and people that look like me. And I feel mm-hmm. like if I can be a voice in the space and a co-collaborator in the space, then I can make that happen. So yeah, I, I'm excited. My collaboration with Minted was just amazing. Actually, the way it really came about was my line sister. Um, I'm an AK. I, I mm-hmm. pledge AK at Howard. But my line sister is one of the uh, co-founders of the brand. So she, you know, reached out to me and was like, Ash, let's do something. I was like, of course. So That's again, so that also goes back to Howard. It goes back to network. It goes back to women supporting women, you know, like that's, that it wasn't happenstance. Like I, I know the, the owners of the company. So yeah. Happenstance and destiny advocates. It happens. <laughs> they're, they're there. They're there. So I, I like to think of being a performer as in a sense, being an entrepreneur, you are your own business. And now you're doing that in a more hard and fast business sense. Would you say that there are some skill sets that transfer over that help you like are you able to you know pitch better or you know be more direct about the necessities for the cosmetics because of your experience acting or is it kind of two separate worlds i would say they're probably like two separate worlds i think i think what does uh what the through line is with the two of them is that um it's still brand forward. And what I mean by that is like, I'm still the brand first. Right. So that's how I need to approach my acting. And that's how I need to approach any collaborations that I may do mm-hmm. um, is that I need to make sure that it, it represents me 
in my brand in a way that is um, authentic to who I am and and who I want to and and who I want the world to take me in as. Like I think I think that's the through line. Absolutely, I'm th- I'm thinking, what's brand forward for me? Like, what are my brand forward steps? I would say getting in a labor dispute at my part-time job and, you know, stealing apples from Trader Joe's until age 27. There we go. The Rachel <laughs> Jarofsky brand moments. Um, <laughs> Trademark in it. But, okay, so we asked this question, um, Ashley, to all of our guests. Um, what is the one thing that you want folks checking from you the most right now? Uh, well, Look out for Dear White People season four. You know, we're we're trying to finish the season, guys. You know, COVID's a thing. Um, and but we are doing it. We are shooting it. It is we are in production and you will have it. Um, but I, I guess I just yeah, I just want people to know that it's coming, to know that we're so excited about it. You know, obviously we're sad that it's the last season, but all good things must come to an end. And with it being the last season. Um, my prayer and my hope is that it's it's everyone's favorite season because I, I know we're really proud of it. I'm just excited you guys got Netflix to give something a fourth season, especially with black people <laughs> on it. Look at you! you Listen, know? we're so, not playing no games. He said Netflix, right. not us. No, no. <laughs> well done. Yeah. Well, I you know. I was going to ask you a piece of advice you'd give to folks who feel the scared invisible or, or unchecked for, but I swear that's what you've been doing the whole time. I mean, <laughs> there's so much to take away from this. I, I, I want everybody to, to get up and look around and, and recognize who your destiny advocates are. Look up in the sky, find your North Star, listen to the, the fuel and the faith and the passion you have inside you and do like Ashley because she <laughs> is doing it and we appreciate that. <laughs> It's true. Listen to this episode, listeners, with a pen and a paper. Write down every word and get that shit tattooed on your front side. So here <laughs> we are. This has been Ain't Nobody Checking For Me with the wonderful Ashley Blaine Featherson. As always, I'm Rachel Jarovsky. I'm Cody Wilkins. And we gotta go. Ain't nobody for you. Checking for me. Checking for me. Check it.